Let me uh, pray before we begin tonight. Father, I thank you so much for the wonderful power in the blood of Jesus, that blood that was shed so liberally, and that blood which took away our sins. Father, we thank you that for this purpose was Christ revealed, that he might destroy the works of the evil one. And so he has done. And Father, I thank you that we can rejoice in the completed work we have a Savior who died, but who is raised from the dead and who lives forever. Thank you that Jesus declared that he was dead, but now he is alive forevermore. Father, I thank you he ever liveth to intercede for us. And Father, I thank you so much that for the rest of eternity, his work will avail and prevail for every person in this room and every person in the whole earth who calls upon the name of the Lord. Father, I want to pray in Jesus' name that, Father, you will guide us very clearly tonight and that we should learn new things connected with the blood of your Son, Jesus. Father, just come and I just put the blood of Jesus over this meeting. We would ask that the devil would have nothing to do with this meeting at all, but that we should know that God and God alone is glorified in this place. Father, come and use my words. Father, may they be as silver. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, as we approach the very end of the course, we're dealing, as I hope you can remember, with spiritual exercise and what we've got to do to make sure that we are strong and healthy and constantly growing. And tonight, 
we've come on to the glorious subject of applying the blood. I'm sure most of you would agree with me that we can't talk about the blood enough. Neither can we hold it too high. It is so important to our faith. I've said on many, many tapes, of course, that it's the cross of Calvary that's at the very centre of our faith. It's not the resurrection, it's not the ascension, it's the death of Christ upon which everything in our faith hangs, and if the cross is at the centre of everything, obviously the blood of Jesus is at the centre of everything. And you just have to flick through the Bible, and I'll tell you something, before long you will find many, many, many passages that deal with blood and the shedding of blood. Remember in Hebrews it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. I want to begin by just having a look at about four passages in which Paul quite clearly uses the word blood, and we'll see just how intertwined with our faith the blood of Jesus really is. Let's just read these verses through. I want to begin in the book of Romans and chapter 3. The book of Romans and chapter 3, and we're looking for the word blood, and every time we read the word blood in the King James Version, you will note that in Greek it says blood. If you, as I read these through, actually don't see the word blood, I suggest you are using the wrong translation of the Bible, and I would ask you, please, to consider very seriously as to whether you should continue using the particular version that you are using. Um, I want to read Romans 3, and I want to read from verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And you see the use of the word blood there, and notice it's only on the basis of the blood that God can look upon us and be satisfied in his heart. In Romans 5, verse 8 and 9, we see more. Two lovely verses that go together. Verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. By the way, isn't that wonderful? While we were yet sinners, when we still hated him, he died on the cross for every one of us. Verse 9, much more then being now justified by his blood. That means you are legally now, legally counted righteous before God. Because of his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Isn't that wonderful? Notice the word blood. If you haven't got it in your Bible, it's the wrong version that you're using. Ephesians 1, 7. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Well, actually, could I read from verse 3? It's all glorious stuff, this. If you want a really difficult Bible study, by the way, just do a Bible study of uh, verse 1 to verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. 
And if you uh, try it, that will show you how much of the Bible you really understand. Right? Very difficult passage. This is the, probably the height of Paul's theology. Verse uh, 3, I love it. It's so full of goodies. It really is. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Isn't that lovely? According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood. And do you remember? Redemption means we've been bought out of the slave market of sin through the blood of Jesus. There was only one good enough to pay the price, and Jesus paid the price. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. And so it goes on and on and on. You know, at one particular station in Britain, they sell sandwiches that are very expensive, but they've got almost everything in them. You know what I mean? They've got prawns and they've got ham and they've got all sorts of things. And they're so full that when you take the wrapper off, bits fall off and you have to be very careful. They always remind me of Ephesians chapter 1. It's so <laughs> full of goodies. The moment you start reading it, well, anyone can get something from, from this particular passage. It's wonderful. But notice the blood. We have redemption through his blood. And Ephesians 2, 13. Now look at this. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And the way to God was opened up by the blood, and we've been brought nigh. Do you see these lovely verses? And so we could go on through the New Testament. It's the blood, it's the blood, it's the blood that's emphasized right the way through. Now, Obviously, tonight's subject is specifically about applying the blood, and because I've done already five tapes in a series called The Blood of the New Covenant, I don't want to repeat material that I've actually covered on those. If you want a detailed exposition of the doctrine connected with the blood of Jesus, they're the tapes to go to. I want to stick to the subject of applying the blood, because this is the part of spiritual exercise that I'm talking about tonight. By the way, uh, if you mix in Pentecostal circles or some charismatic circles, you will soon hear mention of the blood. You'll bump into people who say, well, by the blood of Jesus, or you'll hear them praying, and they'll, they'll say, Lord, I just put your blood against that particular situation. In some of the older Pentecostal movements, they used to say, we're pleading the blood, or we're claiming the blood, or we're under the blood. Have you all heard expressions like this used? Well, uh, I use them as well. The danger whenever you start using a phrase like that is that you can very easily forget what you're actually saying. You know, there is a danger, isn't there, in Christianity of become what I call cliche-ridden. In other words, you've used it so long and very often you've forgotten really the import behind the thing. 
I know that when uh, deliverance was in fashion, you know in the body of Christ certain things come into fashion, then fade out, and into fashion, and then fade out, and so on. It goes on, and, and uh, at first, you know, when you're young in the Lord, you go with these fashions. Before long, you find that if you just wait where you are, everyone returns to where you are eventually, <laughs> which is interesting. But when deliverance was in fashion, and by the way, we in this uh, fellowship see quite a, a lot of deliverance still going on, but there was a time when everything was put down to deliverance, right? Do, do you remember those uh, sort of days, right? Always, whenever deliverance was in progress, we found that people soon began talking about deliverance and forgetting really what deliverance was. I mean, I remember as a young, fairly young Christian in those days that I asked several people who were involved in the deliverance ministry, well, where in the Bible does it say a Christian can have a demon? Now, that's quite a basic thing, isn't it? And you know, no one could tell me. They could all say, well, we know from experience that they can, but they couldn't actually give me chapter and verse on it. And in fact, it was because of that I started looking through the Bible, and as you know, did the tape called Can a Christian Have a Demon, to answer that. Now there, you see, people got on a bandwagon, they became cliche-ridden, as it were, and they forgot to check the roots again. Now what they were doing was perfectly correct. It's just that they'd forgotten to check it through. And I bet you, except I'm not a betting man, but I bet you that if you ask the majority of people in charismatic circles who use the blood, justify what you're doing, you'll find most of them are very hazy. They know it's right, they know it works, but they don't know really why they're doing it. And it's to clarify that that I want to speak on this subject. Beware of cliches, my beloved brothers and sisters. Often they cover a multitude of ignorance. So be very careful. In the Old Testament, you could never get cliche-ridden about the blood. The blood was too real an experience. I mean, every single day, there were thousands of animals slain in the Old Testament. And I think it's interesting to note that because of the reality of the blood, they constantly reckoned on the blood. You'll find, if you read your Old Testament, that there are at least six major uses for blood that would actually have caused the people in the Old Testament to think hard about blood. I've listed them up on the blackboard here. I think it's worthwhile our going through them. First of all, every day, thousands and thousands of ordinary sacrifices were made. What do I mean by ordinary sacrifices? No sacrifice is ordinary, because it involves the death of an animal. But what I mean is, these were routine sacrifices. Uh, you can read about these sacrifices in Leviticus chapter 1 to chapter 6, which is a fascinating group of chapters. And you'll find that of the five sacrifices named there, four of them involved a blood sacrifice. All right? You have, for example, the peace offering, the burnt offering, they both involve sacrifice, the sin offering, and obviously the trespass offering involve sacrifice. And constantly, people were going to the temple to make sure that these animals were sacrificed for these purposes. Thousands upon thousands every single day. All right. Secondly, they also saw sacrifices whenever anything was consecrated. Now, in the Old Testament, you'll find sometimes places are consecrated, sometimes people are consecrated, sometimes things are consecrated. And always, it was the application of blood that was used to consecrate them, right? That means to separate them for God's service. And by the way, if blood was being poured all over you, I assure you, you couldn't become cliche-ridden about it. 
You know blood is rather sticky. Do you know that? When you get it on your clothes, it's difficult to get out. You didn't take the blood lightly, not in the Old Testament. Let's just have a look at how the sons of Aaron were uh, consecrated. Let's go to Leviticus in chapter 8. Let's just have a look at this. Leviticus and chapter 8 and verse 22. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 22. I just want to read it. This is what Moses did. And Moses brought the other ram, the ram of consecration. This is verse 22. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the ram, and Moses slew it. And Moses took of the blood of it and put it upon the tip of Aaron's right ear, upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. And he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put of the blood upon the tip of their right ear, upon the thumbs of their right hands, and upon the great toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood about the altar round about. By the way, what it meant was they would hear God, they would work for God, they would walk in God's paths. And that was the consecration. Do you know the blood has been applied to your ears, to your hands, and to your feet in exactly the same way? But that further revelation tonight. All right, the third one was cleansing of defilement. Now, this was another group of sacrifices. The type of thing I'm talking about here is this. If the priest, for example, had uh, gone into a house and someone had had a heart attack and dropped dead, they would have actually been in the same house as someone who was dead. And that actually meant they couldn't serve God. It put them out, as it were, as far as God was concerned. And there you had a special sacrifice, a fascinating one that we don't have time to go through tonight, called the red heifer sacrifice. And if you want a a very good Bible study, all these recommendations tonight, but a very good Bible study, you study Numbers chapter 19 yourself, the red heifer offering, and uh, you see how Christ fulfilled that. Now that was the cleansing of defilement. Fourthly, they had what I call here calendar sacrifices. You know, don't you, that the whole of their year was divided up into certain feast days, and the feast days reminded them of their history. This is out of fashion in Britain now, but it used to be true, didn't it? We used to have a holiday, I think, even on the Queen's birthday. I don't think we do that. Empire Day was always celebrated, and we used to go with our toggles and uh, uh, woggles, wasn't it? Uh, um, Boy Scouts and girl guides and so on. We used to go to, to school dressed up to remember these things. I think they uh, kept Waterloo Day, uh, Trafalgar Day, I think, you know, this sort of thing. Well, it's gone out of fashion with us. In Israel, they always did it. And you probably know they had four calendar feasts that they held in springtime. They had three that they held later on in the year. Of the seven that they kept regularly, six of them involved an animal sacrifice. I mean, Passover obviously did. The slaughter that went on at the Passover was absolutely astounding. Do you know, it's reckoned in Solomon's day, 400,000 animals were killed on Passover every year. 400,000 animals. Isn't that staggering? You imagine the blood. I mean, you couldn't take this for granted. There was a river of blood flowing from the place. You see? So all was on Passover. On the Feast of First Fruits, there was offering. At Pentecost, there was offering made. Uh, In the autumn of the year, of course, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of uh, Tabernacles all involved the sacrifice of animals. Number five, whenever a covenant was cut, and it was happening all the time in Israel, you had to have animal sacrifice. And you know the sort of 
thing. I've dealt with it on tape. Uh, two people would come and say, we enter into covenant together. And then they'd uh, shout blessings at one another. Right? And they'd say, if you keep the covenant, you'll be blessed. You'll get my money on time. I'll make sure you get the best this and the best that. And the chap used to shout blessings back. And then they used to turn it all around, shout cursings at one another. If you break this covenant, your house will be turned into a dung heap. And so on. That's a public convenience, by the way. Um, and they would shout all these things at one another, you know, and there'll be no rest for your family and so on. And they used to take an animal and they used to slay it and cut it down the spine, lay the two halves uh, on the ground and then both walk in the trail of blood that was between the two pieces. Most of you, I hope, uh, know this sort of thing. But they saw that frequently happening. The last were victory sacrifices, either before a battle or afterwards. They always used to slay some animals and uh, offer them to God. And basically, these were the six experiences of blood that they had in the Old Testament. So blood, you see, was regularly shed in the Old Testament. But more than that, it wasn't just shed, it was applied as well. Now, sometimes when blood was spilt, God didn't give any commands about what should happen to it. But usually he did. And very often in the Old Testament, it is not enough for the blood just to be shed. Something has to be done with the blood. It has to be shed, but it's also got to be applied. Do you see? And this is very important. You'll notice that the Passover itself in Egypt, when the firstborn were going to die, God told them to do what? Kill a lamb without spot and without blemish, after keeping it aside for four days, then don't just kill it. That wasn't good enough. You then had to collect the blood and you had to do something with it. And do you remember what they did? They stood in the doorway and they put some on the top lintel, right, so that it then dripped down onto the ground on which they were standing, some on this side and some on that side, and they made this sign of the cross in the doorway, right? And there was the sign of the cross, and it says, and when the angel of death saw the blood, he passed over. Now, if they'd slain the animal but hadn't applied it, I think you'd understand that, in fact, the angel of death would not have passed over the thing. It wasn't just good enough to shed the blood. It had to be applied. And this is always true where blood is concerned, unless God says it's all right simply to pour it out. Whenever they killed an animal for meat, the blood was just to be poured into the ground. Usually, however, God told them to do something special with it, and it is important. For example, let's read this passage again, Leviticus 8, 22 to 24. Notice what was done with the blood. Verse 22, And he brought the other ram, the ram of consecration, and Aaron his sons laid their hands upon the head of the ram. He slew it. Now, is that good enough? No. Then he did something with the blood, and Moses took of the blood of it and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. He did the same then to Aaron's sons. And then at the end of verse 24, and Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about. And in verse 30 then, and Moses took of the anointing oil and of the blood which was upon the altar and sprinkled it upon Aaron. Now, this is blood being sprinkled at you. You see? You couldn't take it for granted in these days at all. Sprinkled it upon Aaron and upon his garments and upon his sons and upon his sons' garments with him and sanctified Aaron and his garments and his sons' and sons' garments with him. And there are many examples given. We'll look at one more. If you go to Exodus 24, Exodus 24, 
again you see the principle. It's not good enough simply to shed the blood or have the blood shed. You then had to do something with the blood. All right, and in uh, verse 4, Exodus 24, 4 to 8, And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and builded an altar under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel which offer burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. Good enough? No. Verse 6, And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord hath said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. See that? And said, behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Be interesting if we had to do a ritual like this today, exactly what reaction some people would have to it. It was a ghastly thing to do. And it was ghastly for a very good reason, wasn't it? To show just how ghastly sin is. The horror here isn't in the slain animals, and the horror isn't in the blood itself. The horror is that that was the length that had to be gone to, to deal with the sin, which is the really horrific thing. And all of this was designed to show the horror of sin. And there were no complaints to be made about the mess of the blood. Blood is sticky, you know. I mean, you get it on your hands and it sticks, you know. Even Shakespeare knew that. You know, this blood and, and so on in Macbeth, you see. That was the point that God was trying to get through, that sin was horrific. All right, so two things were done by the priests with the blood. They either sprinkled it, in other words, get it in the bowl and flick it over people with their fingers like this, or they smeared it on certain objects, either with their hands or with hyssop or, or some plant, you see, and that was what was done. Uh, there are many examples of this. You know, don't you, that uh, as priests used to go into the holy place with the blood. And when they got into the holy place, they used to smear the blood on the horns of the altar of incense. You know that, don't you? And they smeared it on the horns. The horns were, were two metal pieces that stuck up from the altar of incense, and they used to rub the blood into the horns, and then they used to go to the veil which separated man from God, and they used to sprinkle the blood on the veil, you see. That veil, by the way, that in picture books sometimes is shown to be so beautiful, was actually spattered with blood, right? It really was soaked in blood. Can you imagine it? I don't think it was a beautiful sight. It wasn't meant to be beautiful on this side. It was beautiful on the other side, right? The side where God was, but not on man's side. It was rather a ghastly sight. And of course, a picture, really, of the broken body of Jesus as it was going to hang on the cross, the veil of his flesh, as it's called in the New Testament. You see, it's interesting. Uh, once a year, the high priest used to go further into the tabernacle. He went into the holy place with the collected blood. And you'll remember, instead of stopping at the veil, once a year, he had to go through the veil. And as he lifted up the corner of the veil, the Shekinah glory would beam out. Can you imagine it? I mean, it was all dark in, in, the, in the holy place, except for the candlestick which was lit. But the moment he pulled up the corner, the glow of God used to come out in the most dramatic, you know, way. And he used to then go inside to where the Holy of Holies was, and where the mercy seat was. And he used to take the blood, and it used to be taken on behalf of the whole nation. 
And do you know what he did? First of all, he sprinkled it on the mercy seat, offering it for the, the nation. And then he sprinkled it seven times before the mercy seat. And if God accepted it, he would live. If God chose not to accept the offering, the high priest would die. And that's why, as you know, he either had a rope tied round one of his legs that trailed in behind him, or he wore a long garment with a very long trail that went right out of the tabernacle. And if he died, they used to pull him out, out of the veil, out of the presence of God. That was the purpose in all of that, you see. But when he finally came out, all the people would cheer, and there was such excitement. God's accepted the sacrifice, and it was a wonderful time of rejoicing, you see. Now that was the use of the blood. All right, let's take it through to the New Testament then. If you turn to Hebrews 10, verse 4, Hebrews 10, verse 4, we read something very important. Hebrews 10, 4, talking about the blood of bulls and goats. And what it reminds us of here is this. It says this, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. It is not possible that they should. And this tells us something. All the blood shed in the Old Testament was a picture of the blood of Jesus who was to come. Their sins were only dealt with because they put their faith in the one who would shed his blood. And the animal sacrifices pictured Jesus coming. By the way, why was it true that animal sacrifices weren't enough for man? That's true because, you see, man is not an animal. And it's no good if you've got a different form of life, as it were, because we're a separate creation. It's no good applying the blood of animals. Do you know that in itself should convince you how wrong evolution is? You see, if we were just animals or descended from animals, the blood of animals would actually have availed quite a lot. But we're not animals. We're human beings. And the blood of animals will not do for us. And this is perhaps what many Christians have not seen, that to talk in evolutionary terms actually denies the very basis of our faith. For example, there couldn't be a literal Adam, you see? And by the way, if you teach people that they're animals, before long they start acting like animals. And that's exactly what's happening in our society today. No, 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 the blood of animals won't do for human beings. What is it that will do for human beings? Why, there's only one thing that will do. The blood of a man has got to be shed for human beings. What any man? No, sir. In the Old Testament, no animal would do for sacrifice. It had to be an animal without spot and without blemish, and it's not good enough to have the blood of any old man. No good. It, he has to be a man totally unblemished and totally free of sin. That disqualifies everyone, as you well know, except for one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And Jesus is the only one whose blood avails for you. The only one whose shed blood has dealt with everything. This is why in the Bible the blood of Jesus is seen as immeasurably precious. It's unique, the blood of Jesus. The only spotless Lamb of God. You imagine what John was saying when he pointed to Jesus in the crowd and said, Behold the Lamb of God. They all knew in the Old Testament it had to be a Lamb without spot, without blemish. And here he is. The man without blemish and without spot. They knew it. Today, people have forgotten exactly what those words mean. Do you know, in Acts chapter 20, there is a verse that is a haunting verse about the blood of Jesus. I wonder whether you've ever noticed this verse. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28. 
This is a verse that it would do you well to read a great deal, I think. You remember here, he's meeting the elders of the church at Ephesus for the last time. And he's giving them his last message. And in verse 28, this is what he says to them. Verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. See the implication in that. Look what it says. Feed the church of God which God has purchased with his own blood. And you know that it was because God needed the shedding of blood that Jesus came in human flesh. And Jesus himself was God. Here is a proof, again, of the deity of Christ in this verse. The very blood of Jesus, though it was the blood of a man, was considered the very blood of God himself. It's quite a staggering verse, this. All right, the more well-known verse on this is 1 Peter and chapter 1. 1 Peter and chapter 1 and verse 18 and verse 19. Lovely two verses, these. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He came specifically to do the will of his Father, and it was the will of his Father that he should die for the sins of the whole world. And by the way, this shows you how precious you are. Do you realize that? Because he was prepared to give the blood of his Son in payment for you. On a certain talk that I gave once, I recalled the old bottle shop in Alston. Alston is at the top of the Pennines, right? I mean, the moment snow hits Britain, it's cut off. That's how bad Alston is. How many of you know the little town of Alston? Halfway between the Lake District and uh, Newcastle upon Tyne. And you go up the steep slope, and there's Alston, and if there's any cold weather at all, you can't get to it. And there's a little bottle shop there. It sells old, old bottles. And I walked in there one day. I was just traveling between Newcastle and the Lake District. And I walked into this bottle shop. And I saw all these rubbishy bottles. You know, they were all filthy and, and pockmarked and so on. And I thought, well, this fancy bottle. The whole shop's selling old bottles. You know, I wish I brought the Express Dairy Milk bottle with me. They might have been interested. And uh, I looked at it, and they had labels on telling the price. One of them, an old filthy bottle, it said 20 pounds. <laughs> I said to the chap, I said, I said, 20 pounds. I said, honestly, if you paid me, I'd take it away. Right? I'm certainly not going to pay. He said, listen, he said, there's a great collecting business of bottles now. And he said, and some people are prepared to pay that amount. And do you realize there's a person who comes into that shop, he looks at this bottle, he picks it up and looks at it. To me, it's old junk. And he says, I am prepared to give you 20 pounds for that bottle. And do you know that means that to that man, that bottle is precious, doesn't it? Do you realize the world may think you're junk? But when God looked at you, he said, I am prepared to give the most that I can give for you. And the cost was the blood of his own son. 
And that's why whenever you meet a Christian who is down in the dumps and they're feeling that nobody loves them, do you know the devil is duping them? How can you think you're unloved when God gave his own son to purchase you? You imagine, the world wouldn't have given tuppence for you. But God saw you on the shelf, all pockmarked and dusty, and he thought, I'll pay whatever is necessary. And do you know, it was the most expensive price in the whole universe that he paid for you. Every one of you, if you'd been the only person to receive, Jesus would have died for you. Isn't that thrilling? And with this, the shedding of Jesus' blood, God was satisfied. You imagine, for hundreds of years, the fires had been burning on the altars of the tabernacle and the temple, burning and burning and burning. And the more carcasses that were thrown on and the more blood that was shed, the more the flames leapt up and cried out for more and more. They were never satisfied or quenched or satiated in any way. On and on and on. And the more offerings you put on, the more they wanted. They burnt and burnt and burnt. But when Jesus shed his blood, the fires of the altars went out once and for all. He extinguished every flame that there was. Isn't that wonderful? Praise his wonderful name. And you know, the moment God saw the sacrifice of Jesus, he said, it is enough. I need none other. His blood avails to the uttermost for every single person. And that's why the altars do not burn today because the blood of Jesus has extinguished them. Isn't it the most wonderful news? Hallelujah. All right, we've got one other point to make before we then see the application to us. Jesus not only was the sacrifice, he's not only the one who shed his blood, he's also the high priest, who then on the morning of his resurrection, do you remember, took the blood into the true Holy of Holies, into heaven itself, and sprinkled it before the mercy seat. On the morning of his resurrection, he appeared to Mary. Mary went to touch him. He said, don't you touch me. Right? Go and tell the disciples, I'm ascending. She went on her way, and he went up into heaven. And there he sprinkled his blood in heaven. Hallelujah. And the marvelous thing is, on the evening of the day of the resurrection, he reappeared on the earth. Just as the high priest of old would reappear if God had accepted the sacrifice. And the joy that should have broken forth from these disciples. Instead, they were all unbelieving. What? All afraid. There should have been applause. There should have been absolute rejoicing. God's accepted the sacrifice that's been given. Isn't it good news? Oh, wonderful, wonderful news. The best of all. Now, that happened 2,000 years ago. Now, you might say, well, Roger, it's 2,000 years ago this blood was shed. I mean, surely when we believe, it's on the basis of what happened 2,000 years ago. I mean, why are you talking in terms of the blood still having a role to play today? Well, I'm talking in terms like that because the blood still does have a role today. Do you know the blood has never lost its power, ever? Do you know today the blood of Jesus is still counting for you? Hallelujah. It might be 2,000 years old. It's as fresh as the day that it left the veins of Jesus. Bless his wonderful name. And that blood in the New Testament is spoken of in present terms as well as historical terms. And unless, beloved, we understand this, we will be impoverished. You see, just as in the Old Testament, they had to take the shed blood and apply it. It's no good our just having the shed blood. I mean, that is 
very effective. But if we're going to come through into all that God has for us, we've got to start applying that blood in the same way. All right? Let's see uh, how it's used in the present tense. If you go to Hebrews and chapter 12, and I'm going to read verse 18, and here he's using allegorical language, and it's clearly allegorical. Hebrews 12, verse 18. For ye are not come, it says, unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. You haven't come to that. But you've come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all men, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And here's the verse. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling. Notice how it's used. It doesn't say to the shed blood. The blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And the word speaks here is present tense. It doesn't say that spoke better things than that of Abel. Do you remember when Cain slew his brother? And I have to tell you, it was done in absolute defiance to God. Do you know that? I mean, do you remember God accepted Abel's sacrifice? Wouldn't accept Cain's because there was no blood given with it. And Cain said, oh, so you want a blood sacrifice, do you? I'll give you a blood sacrifice. And 1 John makes clear that he took the sacrificial knife and he slit his brother's throat and offered his brother as a sacrifice to God. And it was done with the fist held up to God. So that's what you demand, is it? You'll get it. And he killed and murdered his brother in defiance of God. And it says in that passage in Genesis 4, it actually says that the blood of Abel cried out to God. And God said, I've heard thy brother's blood crying to me from the earth. We learn in that passage that blood speaks and keeps on speaking. Do you know today, by the way, every innocent victim of a murder, the blood cries out against our nation. Every abortion that occurs, the blood of that infant cries out against our nation. And we, because we are not dealing with these things through capital punishment, uh, as far as premeditated murder is concerned, and the stopping of all abortion, because of that, Gradually, the voice of the blood, the innocent blood, is shouting and shouting and shouting. And sooner or later, God will have to judge our nation for it. But the blood of Abel cried out, vengeance, vengeance, vengeance. But here we hear about the blood of Jesus. It cries better things than the blood of Abel. And what does Jesus' blood cry out? The most wonderful words, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them and speaks is present tense. It's been said about you today. Do you know the blood has shouted out about you today? Forgive him. And fathers heard it. Forgive her. Forgive him. Forgive her. And that blood is speaking. Now can you see there's a present day application of that blood? Very important. And that's why, for example, we see another present tense in 1 John chapter 1. Now we all know verse 9. 
or we should, after the basic series, number one, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it comes after verse 7 and 8. Now look at verse 7 and notice the present tense in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. And the moment you open yourselves up to God and say, God, I am a sinner, today I have sinned, the blood of Jesus Christ begins to cleanse you. Most wonderful thing. Do you know the blood is still around today? Every time you confess your sins, you're applying the blood to yourself, the cleansing blood of Jesus. In fact, if we go back to this list of six things, do you know all but one of them applies to you or can apply to you? Number one, of course, ordinary sacrifices, that's when you confess your sins. And you ask God to forgive you, you confess them before God, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses you. Jesus is the peace offering. Jesus is the burnt offering. He's the sin offering and the trespass offering. They're all fulfilled in Christ. Isn't that good news? Praise God. Next, he's also the consecrating blood. Do you know every one of you is a priest? Do you know that? Isn't that marvellous? And it was the priest who applied the blood. And God has consecrated you. Now the devil doesn't like that. If he can uh, cause you to think, I'm just an ordinary nobody. I can't do anything. It's all right for him, it's all right for her, but it's not all right for me. Do you know, you're denying your consecration. God calls you a priest. More than that, he calls you an able minister of the new covenant, and the blood is upon you to ratify it. Hallelujah. And when the devil comes along and says, you're no good for God, it's time you said, excuse me, why then have I been consecrated with the blood of Jesus? You're applying the blood. You are claiming what God has done as far as your life is concerned. You are an able minister of the new covenant, and the blood is upon you to actually prove it. Praise God. Number three, the cleansing of defilement. Oh yes, so as a priest, you sometimes touch a dead body. Which dead body? Your own dead body. Do you know you are dead with Christ? Did you know that? On the cross of Calvary. And the tragedy is, we keep lugging this dead body around and touching it. And it puts you out, you see. It puts you out. What's the answer to defilement? Because if Satan will come along and say, there you go again. You see, call yourself a Christian. Look, still got the same old problems, haven't you? Still doing it, aren't you? And what he wants you to do is to say, oh, it's you, I can't, oh, oh, I feel so awful, oh, I can't get... And if you walk around like that, do you know it's the dupe of the devil? That's why Jesus was the red heifer offering, so that you shouldn't have any time out of fellowship with God. Oh no, there is no excuse for being out of fellowship with God. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Isn't that good news? So when you've touched it, you call on the name of the Lord. And the blood of Jesus cleanses you from that particular sin. Isn't it wonderful, you see? You'll notice even in the Old Testament, when Joshua the high priest was being accused by the devil, look at his filthy rags. How can he serve you? The devil, notice, had failed to stop the building of the temple. So all he could do was attack now the priests who were functioning in the temple. And the high priest was the first one. And there's Joshua standing in the dock. He didn't know that he was. It's a spiritual picture of what was going on in heaven. Beloved, you've been in the dock today with the devil pointing the finger at you. Hallelujah. And there in Zechariah it says, the Lord rebuke you. And he's kicked out of court. Isn't that good news? Satan's been kicked out because of you today. Isn't that good news? Poor old Satan. 
You see, you give him a bit of a headache every single day. Do you realize? And very often he then comes down, whispers in your ear and says, God's fed up with you. He's just been kicked out of court and he's telling you, you're in danger of being kicked out of court. God won't put up with this. It's all lies, you see. Do you remember in one of the conferences I spoke about the tokens of virginity? Do you remember that? And I had quite a revelation about this. When a, a virgin married, she would always, on the first evening of the wedding, take a linen cloth into the bed with her. And when blood was spilt, she would collect the blood in the linen cloth and keep it. And the husband would agree, these were the tokens of her virginity. This proved she was a virgin when she was married, you see? And the husband would agree. Now later on, he might tire of her and think, oh, not her again. And, and sometimes they used to say, well, of course, um, I want to divorce her. She wasn't a virgin when I married her. Then she would rush to her secret drawer, take out the drawer and hold up this cloth. And she would say to everyone, these are the tokens of my virginity. This blood proves that I was a virgin and my husband should have commented on it on the first day if it wasn't true, and he didn't. This proves it. Beloved, do you know, when Satan tries to come along to you and attack you, you've got the blood of Jesus to prove you are a virgin now. Hallelujah. Do you know every single person who's a believer is called a saint and a virgin? Isn't that good news? Praise God. And you've got the tokens of your virginity, and it's time you wave them around. Hallelujah. The blood of Christ. This is the application. This is the application you see, of the blood of Jesus. And you tell Satan that it's not true and you're not going to be undermined in that sort of way. It's time we started using this. You see, the blood's been shed. Satan can't bear that, of course. But he can't bear it when we start then applying the blood in our daily lives. He wants this unknown, hidden away, so that no one does it. You see? Don't you be defiled in any way. The calendar sacrifices now are the one that don't apply because Jesus fulfilled them all. Praise God, right? He was the Passover lamb. He was the first fruits. He fulfills the day of Pentecost. He's going to fulfill it on the day of trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, right? And the day of tabernacles. In some ways he has already. Second coming, he'll fulfill all the others. Wonderful. The next one, the covenant sacrifices. Do you know every one of you has entered into covenant with God? Or rather, God has entered into covenant with you. Do you know that? And it's a new covenant. Now, do you know what's happened? There were blessings and there were cursings, but Jesus has come and fulfilled his side of the bargain perfectly. So now the blessings are available. Hallelujah. And so you can now stand and say, on the basis of the blood of the covenant now, and because I'm in Christ, because he shed his blood and he fulfilled the law, I now am open to all the blessings of this new covenant. Isn't that marvelous? You see? You can do it. Now, that's what we mean when we suddenly see things happening that shouldn't be happening. And we're able to say, I won't have it. And in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus, you stop it, Satan. And you're invoking the covenant at that particular point. Now, that's the application of the blood of Jesus. And you must do it. And why not, by the way? It is true. You're in covenant with God. Bless his wonderful name. And it's a completed covenant. Romans 8, 4 says that Jesus fulfilled the law in us. Wonderful. So now you come into the blessings clause of the agreement. And the last one, the victory sacrifices. Isn't it wonderful? Through his death on the cross, he won the victory, and we then celebrate in that victory. But it's the blood of Jesus that is the basis of that victory. 
That's what I quoted in my prayer, and for this purpose. Christ was revealed to destroy the works of the evil one, and the blood of Jesus is the thing that has actually done it. It's so wonderful. Uh, Where do we find that? Well, in a verse which is prophetic, in Revelation chapter 12. Even in the tribulation, the blood of Jesus avails. Isn't it good news? Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the blood of Christ. And look at this, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives unto death. They stood on the word, or stand on the word in that day. They applied it, they claimed it, and as a result the victory was theirs. Do you see, the blood never loses its power. Now I don't care what phrase you use, as long as you know what you're doing. You're calling on that blood which even now is in heaven, and even now avails for you. And you must do it, every one of you. It's been shed. It's your job as priest now to begin applying it where it's necessary to apply it. Never a day goes past without Ros and I claiming the blood of Jesus over our house. Claiming it right out. It's the first thing I do in the morning. I just put the blood of Jesus. We use the phrase often, right? Never a day goes past without us putting our hands on our children and putting the blood of Jesus on them three, four times a day. They'll never leave our house without the blood of Jesus claimed for them. Never do I leave the house without Ros or the two children pushing my car out and the blood of Jesus is said on the car. We cannot afford in these days of warfare to do anything else. We've got to be scrupulous about this and I know many in our fellowship really are. There is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Old Satan must hate it. He really must. Oh, blow it! They've done it again. You see, we've got to be scrupulous about this. Absolutely scrupulous. I can't tell you. I remember um, the first time I really found out about the power of the blood, I was having terrible trouble with my old depression, you know. And do you know what I did? I wrote out Leviticus 17.11. I've given the blood for an atonement for your souls. And I thought, it's my soul that needs the power at this time. And I wrote it out in full. I put it on the head of my bed. I put it over every door in the flat where I was staying. I put it over the windows as well. I put it everywhere I could think of. I put it by my shaving mirror, right? So I'd have something wonderful to look at. (laughs) And other than the obvious, of course. And I used to recite it and claim it constantly. So powerful that was. And I learnt about that from a chap called Edgar Trout. Some of you don't remember him, but he was a lovely minister, a man of God. And he told a little story. He just said this. He died decades ago, I think. But uh, he told a little story. He said a, a chap that he knew had this written in wood over the gate into his front garden. He had one of those archways, wooden archways. And he wrote this in wood. It was carved out. And a chap who was popping with demons, apparently, was about to enter the front garden and he looked up and read it and you should have seen him run down the road. It was absolutely wonderful. And I tried it and you know it was absolutely true. Have you noticed when we've met as a fellowship in a brand new building, sometimes the meeting won't get off the ground. 
first time we're there. And, and the second time you're there, this still hasn't. And then people say, can't we go back to the old building? But we've outgrown it. By the way, do you know we used to hold the joint meetings in this hall? We couldn't fit everyone in now, not by a long chalk. Isn't it amazing, the growth that there's been? But do you know, very often you'll find that either I or one of the other elders, or sometimes not an elder, someone who's got discernment, we've got plenty of them, suddenly stand up and say, it's time we march round this place singing about the blood of Jesus. And so we go stomping round the place, proclaiming the blood of Jesus. Aren't it another two meetings? It's clear. It's our ground. It's the blood of Jesus that's done it. A minister friend of mine told me that uh, he went along to a certain uh, place and he noticed in this church that praise didn't get off the ground. The people were willing. Praise didn't get off the ground. One time he went into the church by himself and he prayed and he saw this big face over the pulpit and he knew there was a demonic force over the thing. And he used the blood of Jesus to clear the place. And the next meeting they had, the whole of the praise lifted. Praise God. That's why before the meetings on Sunday, it's important for some people to gather together to put the blood of Jesus over those horns again, even though there are territory, to do it again, do it again. And if you can do it, you get there, quarter past ten, whenever it is, and you gather with the people who are there, putting the blood of Jesus over the... The blood of Jesus is very powerful. And, uh, you know, we've got to learn. In danger, we must apply the blood. In adversity, apply the blood. Sickness, apply the blood. Whatever it is, I mean, we can re all of us recount times when the, the, there should have been an accident, but instantaneously the name of Jesus and the phrase, the blood of Jesus, has come out of our mouths and the whole thing's been averted. I mean, I've seen my wife in tight squeaks several times and always, I'll tell you, her first word is Jesus and her second word is the blood. Every single time. Remember that story that we told uh, when we came back from our holiday in Sark and our little boy do you remember? We were on bikes and our little boy came streaming down this hill, you know, and um, he was shouting, I can't stop, I can't stop. We were already down it. And I said, put the brakes on. I can't stop, I can't stop. Ross's instant reaction, mine was, put the brake on. <laughs> Ross's was the blood of Jesus. And I rushed forward, right, crashed with the bike. My son went flying off and uh, he would have hurt himself if it hadn't been for the blood, but he flew on, landed on the ground, you know. And he was totally unhurt, praise God. And I know it was the blood of Jesus. And do you remember, I said, why didn't you put the brake on? He said, what, and drop my woodlouse. <laughs> Absolutely true. And he was holding a woodlouse, can you imagine it? So he couldn't put the brake on. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. Absolutely. We've really got to learn to apply this blood. In deliverance, we use the blood. Satan can't stand it in deliverance. And beloved, I'll tell you this, and I'm coming to an end of what I'm going to say tonight. But do you know something? We know the blood's important because of the attack on the blood. And not just from people who are not born again, even from born again people. There are foolish things being said about the blood. I actually, a few months ago, cut out an article from Buzz magazine, generally a good magazine. I was shocked at this, by Elspeth Jackman. And it's entitled, Under the Blood Dash Ugg! Exclamation mark. Now, she's undoubtedly a born again Christian. You listen to this. I get the shivers when I hear the phrase covered by the blood or under the blood. In talks I've been exhorted to come to the fountain of the blood of Jesus to be washed. 
I suppose my abhorrence of this started as a child. Did any insensitive evangelist tell you about a beautiful little lamb, pure and spotless, who was going to have his throat cut and who was like Jesus? Did you perhaps come across the wordless book method of teaching the way of salvation, first a black page for the sin of man, then a red page for the blood of Christ which can wash us clean, then a white page for the sinner now washed and pure, and a gold page for the eternal kingdom we now belong to? Sounds like a good book, doesn't it? Of course, the book can be handled wisely or insensitively. Blood today must surely stand for horror. And so she goes on saying, we should, should not have something that causes us horror like this. So it affects me emotionally when someone prays that I might be protected from evil, that I might be covered by the blood. My concordance says the word blood can be used literally, figuratively, and the third category when the idea is the death of Christ on the cross. Now, if your concordance says that, it's time you chucked your concordance. And then she says, and looking through my Bible, dash one of the newer translations, surprise, surprise, where older versions use the word blood, my Bible has death of Christ. They've cut the blood out of the Bible. And she's saying, oh, isn't that good? Beloved, I'll tell you something, you cannot read the Bible, no matter which version you look at, and cut out those things that happen to offend you slightly. Do you know, if you knew what crucifixion was all about, it would be offensive to you. The cross of Christ was horrific. The blood of Christ is horrific, whether you like it or not. But it was necessary to solve something that was even worse, which is our sin. Isn't it funny? She doesn't want the word sin cut out of the Bible. She didn't find that too horrific. Beloved, there are translations of the Word of God now where the word blood is removed from the New Testament. Who do you think's the author of that? The word blood's in the Greek. Why should we replace it? The devil wants us to replace it. Do you know why? He doesn't want you to know the secret in the blood of the Lamb. He doesn't want you to apply it and he doesn't want you to know that you can overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. Beloved, there's wonderful power in the blood of Christ and it avails for you and is available to you tonight. Oh yes, it's wonderful that it was shed, but that shed blood has an ever-present reality. And it's time, beloved, that those of us who claim to be Christians really started applying it. That's why you've been made priests, that you might start applying the blood of Jesus. Start claiming it. If you haven't done so, you put the blood of Jesus over your family, in your house, at the workplace. You pray about those dreadful people you work with, and so on. Right? I have to. No, I don't mean that. Sorry, I don't mean that. My secretary is here tonight. But you do it. I'm sure he does the same with me, don't you, Pam? But you do it. There is wonder-working power in the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. And it still avails. Bless the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's just pray together, shall we? And if you're not doing this, tonight be determined in your heart that you will. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, praise you, praise you. Can we just sing before I pray? There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. 
There is power, power, wonder-working power It's in the blood of the Lamb There is power, power, it's wonder-working power It's in the precious blood of the Lamb There is power, power, wonder-working power It's in the blood of the Lamb There is power, power, wonder-working power the precious blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power. It's in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, it's wonder-working power. In the precious blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, it's wonder-working power. It's in the blood. of the Lamb, and there is power, power, it's wonder-working power, in the precious blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. Thank you, you count us that precious that you gave your own Son, that he might shed his blood for us. Father, we just are so moved at the very thought of what you think of us and how precious we are counted in your sight. Father, forgive us, lest, Father, we have taken the blood for granted and not used it. Father, I want to pray for all those who are here tonight and all those who listen on tape, that, Father, they should learn about the blood, and that, Father, as they begin to apply it, they will see the devil moving back. Indeed, we tonight remind the devil of what the blood has done in our lives. Hallelujah. Thank you, we're new creatures. Thank you, our sins are forgiven. Thank you, we are now anointed ministers of God, able ministers, we're priests. Hallelujah. Thank you that the things of the past cannot touch us. Hallelujah, because there's a bloodline Bless your wonderful name. Father, we thank you for the new covenant and thank you so much for the victory that is ours through the blood of the Lamb. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that the blood of Jesus will cover us all as we go from this place. And we put the blood of Jesus now over our homes, over our families, that the peace of God may prevail. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Jesus' name. Praise God.
be. <laughs>